Welcome to Menopause Reimagined. I'm your host, Andrea Donsky, and I'm a nutritionist for more than 16 years who's in menopause. I'm a menopause educator and avid menopause researcher. The goal for this show is to help educate you and empower you as you enter into this phase of life so that you can take control of your health and your symptoms. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Kate Shanahan. She's a leading authority on nutrition and human metabolism. She's a board-certified family physician with over 20 years of clinical experience and a New York Times best-selling author of The Fat Burn Fix, Deep Nutrition, and Food Rules. Her expertise is fixing the underlying problems that cause metabolic damage and inflammation, leading to autoimmunity, weight gain, diabetes, cancer, and accelerating aging processes. Her passion is helping people feel their best. Now, here's Dr. Kate. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kate. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me back. I love having you on our show. I talk about you all the time. I refer oh, to you best. always on my TikTok lives. I talk about <laughs> you to my friends. I talk about everyone to go listen to our podcast. So you are one of my absolute favorite guests and somebody that I'm proud to call my friends. So thank you for coming back. This must symbolize something. <laughs> I hope it's good, I whatever it, it is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So for those of you who are who are listening to the podcast, she was like kind of doing a really cute little like oh. arms touching, hands touching, fingers touching symbol, which is awesome. Okay. So Dr. Kate, today we're going to talk about body fat as we get into perimenopause and menopause and specifically around our face. Our face. How can we make our faces look amazing in this phase of life? Yes. Yeah, so the face goes through a lot of changes because the hormones that help our face look youthful um, start to deplete as we go through menopause. Estrogen, progesterone, they all have a lot to do with the fat distribution on our face and just how our faces look. So um, a lot of people talk, you know, when we talk about menopause, well, you brought this up. Most of the time when people talk about menopause and body fat, they're talking about like their butt or, you know, the belly. slab that we get under their arms or just belly fat. And it's all like, there's something you can do about all of it, right? There's, 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 it, it's not inevitable that you're going to turn into this apple with skinny legs, <laughs> thanks to menopause. Right. Um, yeah. So that's what I kind of wanted to dive into. So do you think that like makes sense as a concept? Because I know it's a little bit different than what, what most folks talking about menopause usually talk about. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I think it's a, an, in, an interesting topic. So let's, let's dive in. Okay. So let's start out with the whole, the body as a whole and what happens as we go through menopause. Like why, why does our shape change uh, or how does our shape change? Right. And the, it does change the hormones, uh, change the way the body fat under our skin. Well, it changes where the places that our dietary fat is going to end up. Right. So, um, so what happens is we've got body fat in different compartments. So let's talk about those. Let's kind of break up the body fat into the okay. different compartments. So one is the fat that's under your skin. That's called subcutaneous fat. Um, and, and that's the fat that like, when you pinch your belly, you can actually pinch that. And there's also subcutaneous fat on your legs, on your thighs, but then there's this nasty fat called visceral fat, or some people call it abdominal fat. Sometimes they just kind of call it belly fat. And that's, that's actually a combination of the two, because in the belly, that's where your viscera are. So you can have two kinds of fat there. You can have the fat that's the subcutaneous, and then you can have the fat that 
is the visceral fat that's like all around your organs. And that is known to be unhealthy and it increases in, in menopause, right? It seems to increase in menopause while the fat that is under our skin decreases. And so when you lose fat under your skin, you also kind of like your veins will pop out. You might have like more like translucent looking skin and you see more just veins all over the place. And of course the same thing happens on your face and your face has a third kind of fat that I want to talk about, like a third place where fat goes. So again, it's a kind of think about it in two layers. One is the the fat right under your skin that you can see that you can pinch. And then there's this um, deeper fat that's mostly on the cheeks. So there's like one, two, three of them here. And it's supported by um, muscle and ligaments. And so if those things, muscle and ligaments, get like weaker and lax with age, then it all droops down. So you have this horrible combination of you, you lose the superficial fat that would kind of hide those three saggy collections of sagging fat. Mm -hmm. And then, and of course you have the sagging fat and as you, your age actually affects one of those layers more than the other, because one of those layers is more hormone responsive um, and your weight affects the other one. So which is which? So your weight affects the outer layer more. So you are more in control of this outer layer of your fat on your face. And however, the deeper um, layers, you lose about 1% of that fat per year after menopause. Mm. And at the same time, you're also losing the muscle strength that holds it in position to give you like a little bit of plump on your cheekbones and to kind of hide like these horrible nasal labials, right? Like you don't want, you see those as it's part of a separation of, um, it's the sagging. It's like the exaggeration here comes from like the sagging and the loss of superficial fat as you lose weight. So so goodness gracious, what can ever can you do about all this? So do, do those things make sense? Like, did I break that up in a sensible way? Yeah. I mean, so just to repeat, I mean, not to yeah. get into the specifics, but basically what you're saying is as we go into perimenopause and menopause, our, the, our, our fat distribution changes and because our, we were more prone to sarcopenia or our muscle weakness that the muscles even in our face get weaker, which could lead to the sagging that you're talking about. So what can we do about it exactly? Yes. Okay. Well, um, so for one thing, the worst thing you can possibly do for your face or and your heart and everything else uh, is eat the seed oils. These things are the most powerful promoters of inflammation in our diets. There's nothing worse and inflammation disrupts everything that is good about the way your body is supposed to work. So it even disrupts hormones, right? So we have less estrogen as we get older, but if you have a lot of inflammation, it's as if you have less estrogen because the estrogen signal doesn't get translated properly. Inflammation, you can kind of think of it like static, you know, in a communication, like if, if I was talking to you right now and you just kept hearing static, like 
the message wouldn't get through as well. Well, that's a little, that's my analogy for describing what does inflammation really do? How does it interfere with um, hormone reception? Mm. So the estrogen signal doesn't get through when there's a lot of inflammation and seed oils promote tons and tons of inflammation. And the other thing that they do, uh, so, so they promote inflammation, right? So they, they promote inflammation, like right after you eat them, right. And they're in your bloodstream because yep. you just ate them. But the other thing that they do is they build up in your body fat. So now you have inflammation promoting body fat. And when you have this in the skin, you know, the fat under your skin, you are prone to all kinds of skin diseases that make you look less great in menopause too. Um, so this includes eczema. Eczema is a, a condition where the skin is red and kind of flaky and dry, very often itchy. Uh, you, uh, another inflammatory skin condition that's, eczema is usually not on the face. Uh, unless you're a baby, but for adults, an inflammatory skin condition, um, rosacea is, is big. In this yes. Stage rosacea. Right? Thank you. Um, yeah. uh, it's kind of also called like atopic dermatitis. Sometimes there's a lot of crossover there, but yeah. So rosacea is a skin condition where the, the inflammation causes redness, uh, like around your nasal labial fold up on your cheek, around your nose, sometimes across your forehead or your chin can be in areas of pressure. Like if you're always like doing this, um, when you're, you know, leaning your hand into your face, um, and acne both. So one, you know, some people get more of the acne, some people get more of the redness, it's also kind of like a shiny color, sometimes very disturbing if you're, you know, wanting to feel like an attractive, youthful person. It, it really detracts from a lot of people's self-confidence. Yeah, especially that, in the nose area. I find like you kind of look like Rudolph almost, you know, you've got that and it kind of comes out of nowhere, I found too. And a lot of I have a lot of people on my TikTok page who are constantly complaining about the redness on their face, the acne and the redness. I'd say it's a very common skin complaint that we hear. So so Dr. Kate, I'm gonna ask you to kind of go back for a second because yeah. we I you know as much as I um we've promoted your podcast, we did you and I did two interviews. It was a while back. So for those who didn't listen to our original podcast on seed oils, I want to just take one quick step back and just explain what seed oils are, because I, we will put a link below to the part one and part two interview I did with Dr. Kate. That's amazing. Right. All about seed oils. Yeah. <laughs> but I do want to take a quick step back to just explain what they are and what those are that they want to look for, because if they're new to it, uh, we just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Great idea. So the seed oils are a collection of eight factory produced and refined oils that based on their chemistry, um, I say we really need to avoid them. So there's eight of them. So get ready. <laughs> there's get three your pen and paper, your phone, <laughs> wherever it is, take a note. <laughs> take notes. <laughs> there's three C's, corn, canola, cotton seed, as three S's, soy, sunflower, safflower. And then there's like the, you know, like with the vowels is sometimes why there's um, a G for grape seed oil and an R for rice bran oil. And the first six are the ones you really need to memorize because those are the ones that are going to be on the ingredients lists. 
And the other two are mostly these days in restaurants. So there was a little bit of a shift to the, using them everywhere, but mostly in, in restaurants along with the other six in restaurants. So that's a lot of people will say that they use grapeseed oil and they're proud of the fact they're like, oh, I use grapeseed oil. It's such a healthy oil. But you're saying absolutely not. It is not a healthy oil. Right. It has to do with the fatty acid profile and just the fact that it's got a lot more of the unstable polyunsaturated type of fat than the more stable saturated and monounsaturated and they can handle heat and, the, and they don't need to be processed so harshly. And so um, when you actually eat a lot of uh, foods with seed oils or foods that you've cooked in seed oils or foods that you've bought that are processed food, um, you're eating toxin, you're, you're eating toxin and toxins promote, um, actually they promote this thing called oxidative stress. Um, if you, if you under, if you really get into like aging and the science of anti-aging, you're going to come up with that term oxidative stress because oxidative stress is actually what ages us. It's this chemical, um, process that, uh, that breaks us apart at the molecular level and ages us molecularly. It's a little like a car that gets rust, right? Oxygen attacks the, um, steel over time. Well, oxidative stress attacks all of our tissues too. And, and it's the reason we ultimately like have an expiration date, right? Most of us really don't have much chance of living too much past hundred. I think the oldest person on earth right now is 115. Um, I think she's French, which is where they have really good food. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like that's our kind of our expiration date and um, oxidative stress accelerates that. That's what I'm at my point. And these seed oils, they accelerate oxidative stress. So when you are not looking at your ingredients, you are signing up for accelerated aging because these seed oils are in so many of the products that you buy in the grocery store, even in Trader Joe's and the healthy grocery stores. You just have to stay around the edges and you'll avoid them. Usually. I was actually just going to say that, that even in healthy product, even in like organic foods, there are natural products. There are, there are sunflower and safflower oil. And a lot of companies switched. Like this was years ago. I remember when I first started, well, I wrote Unjunk Your Junk Foods, like, so like in 2011, right? So this was like so long ago. And, you know, a lot of companies have changed their ingredients, but unfortunately a lot of it is the same, but the seed oils is the brand new part for me. And that's where I, you know, you come in and I love the research that you have literally spearheaded and pioneered in this area, Dr. Dr. Kate, I mean, it, I have learned so much from you when it comes to seed oils and it comes to understanding what it's doing to our body, especially the inflammation part of it. And, you know, it is in a lot of the, in a lot of the organic and natural products because they removed canola oil. So canola oil became this villain, which we, you know, in, we know is a seed oil, we shouldn't be eating it anyways, but because it became very mainstream, a lot of these companies switched it to sunflower and safflower oil. So you can still find these seed oils in natural organic products. And that's why it's really important to read the labels all the time for anything that you're putting in your mouth. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that, that it's like such a bother if you think about it as like, oh God, it's one more thing to do when I'm shopping and I hate shopping anyway. Now you're telling me I got to read every ingredient. Well, if you really don't want to do that, then just shop around the edges, right? This <laughs> yeah. is where things don't have ingredients labels, but it, think of it as like, like this is these companies, they are out to get you. And when you find a seed oil on the label, you'll be like, ah, gotcha. You're trying to get me and I'm not going to let you. So, you know, think about it like that way. And it's a little more proactive, I guess, maybe. It is hard to, you know, the, the truth is though. And when I talk about avoiding seed oils, it's one of those things that's really tough because they're in everything, Dr. Kate, like even to like hummus, 
and bruschetta like that like gets in it's in everything that everything that has oil so it's one of those things that it's ubiquitous and it's difficult to avoid but the benefits are just un, they're they're incredible and i'm going to share a quick story i mean i know i've told you this before but i'm going to share this for those of you who didn't hear it is that when i first in, i think you and i we met was it last year or two years ago we when we when we met and we did our first interview and i remember telling you the story that you know i'm i i try to avoid you know, these oils, it was after I interviewed you and I tried to avoid these oils as much as possible, but I was still getting a lot of pains, like pins and needles in the bottom of my feet. And you were like, well, you're there's, it's like, maybe it's a seed oil somewhere that's kind of hiding and you just don't know. And I'm like, wait, I read the labels. That's kind of my thing. It's my job. And I, you were right. And I went to go check. I was eating these seed, this seaweed every single day I was getting from Costco and I would eat an entire package a day and it had sunflower oil in it. And I was like, wow, I didn't even think about it, I guess. And I took it out of my diet and the pain underneath, like I don't get the pins and needles, but I will tell you, I will tell you that when I eat something, if I do takeout and I'm always, I always ask like, if we, you know, can we use olive oil instead of, you know, instead of the canola oil. And mm -hmm. if sometimes that it, it does get in the food or sometimes it's mixed, they'll say, yeah, yeah, there's olive oil in let's say a salad that I'm getting, but it's actually mixed with canola or cut with canola. I will feel it the next day in my feet. I will know right away in my body Hi. if I've consumed it because I try so hard not to, but please like explain, I just explain it from a, like from the science standpoint, because I want everyone to understand this is free to do. Like it doesn't cost money to avoid these oils. It does take a little bit of extra care and time to read the labels a hundred percent. It may take extra time to prepare meals without them, but the benefits are so incredible, especially from how you feel pains in your body. And now you're talking about accelerated aging, like preventing that. Like to me, it's, it's, it's like an absolute must. You actually biologically reverse aging when you avoid these things, right? Because one thing we didn't touch on yet, Andrea, is that when you eat them, it's not just that they're temporarily in your bloodstream and in your body, like temporarily after you eat them and then they go away. No, your body cannot eliminate them. Your liver, even though these seed oils have toxic effects, what before they oxidize, your liver doesn't recognize that them as toxins and it just packs them up and puts them in your body fat. So they build up in your body fat. And so that having polyunsaturated fat in your body fat is releasing oxidative stress into your bloodstream for continued oxidative stress, you know, and, and it takes about six months of avoiding it before you start really making some headway on your body fat itself. And at that point, so you, you will feel benefits right away. You don't definitely want to make it clear. You don't have to wait six months. Cause yeah. if you have belly bloating or if you have some kind of skin condition, or if you have pins and needles in your feet, um, or, you know, bad brain fog or bad anxiety, getting the seed oils out of your diet is going to give you benefits within the first week or two. And sometimes yeah. in the very first day, um, and, and so, but yeah, having it in your body fat, um, means that, uh, you know, your body fat is this thing that's trying to age you. And as you clear out your body fat, you're essentially detoxifying your body fat now by avoiding seed oils. That's what I mean by your reversing your biological age, because as that process happens, you find, I find when I do blood tests that people become more insulin sensitive 
that their um, cholesterol levels that were all out of whack, high triglycerides, low HDL, that improves. When I test people's hormones, their numbers go up. And this is especially true with men. Men have like low testosterone. So women, I know this is a women's menopause thing, but if your guy is worried about <laughs> low testosterone, getting the seed oils out will unbelievably, I cannot believe how much it, no. testosterone levels go up. It's not just getting the seed oils out. It's also, you got to eat the deep nutrition kind of like high nutrient um, diet that I write about in deep nutrition. But like, I'll tell you just one quick story is yeah. there, there was a, like an athlete who like thought he was in great shape, thought he was doing everything right. And his testosterone levels were 200, which is on the low side. Like the lowest of normal is like 220 depending on what lab you're going by. So he was just under the lowest of normal. And uh, over the uh, time of working with me and changing his diet and getting some good healthy fats in his diet, it went up to 700. Wow. And he didn't take anything, didn't, didn't take any external testosterone. This is just- Absolutely not. No. Wow. Not so this works. So you're saying it works really well for men. So can we talk about the feet? Like, can we talk about women? So does it work in a similar way? Like getting rid of those seed oils, will it help to like talk about the female hormones? Yeah. So, um, so our hormones fluctuate. So it's a little harder to, to see those numbers going up and down. Um, but what I can tell you is that people who've gone through menopause, um, will get their period back. So, I mean, if that isn't evidence of rejuvenation, I don't know what else, what's better than that, right? Like people who had early menopause very often will be like, oh, I'm getting my monthly cycle again. And it's, wow. you know, guess what? Like you might think, oh, the misery and the heavy bleeding. No, it's just like a little bit of a light spotting. It's like the way nature intended for it to be your whole life. Wow. <laughs> it's supposed to be that miserable. So this would be really great for women who are in perimenopause. So if they're having- Ooh tons of symptoms and they're just, you know, it, it, like, which many of us do looking at, you know, we always talk about looking at our diet, right. But looking at specifically, obviously your diet, but including those seed oils that can make a really big difference. So talk about deep nutrition. So you're obviously, you wrote deep nutrition, excellent book for, you know, highly recommended. It's an amazing book. Um, but talk about how the seed oils fit in with our nutrition and, and how we should be eating in this phase of our life. Yeah. So uh, what deep nutrition is uh, my kind of dietary philosophy that I didn't come up with out of nothing. What I did, my husband and I wrote this book together and we had read another book uh, by a dentist named Weston Price, who talked about how he went to 11 different countries and studied what people ate there. And that his research gave me the idea to, of what to do to write deep nutrition, because his research showed that um, these isolated communities where they were eating traditional diets were unbelievably healthy. Like they had straight teeth, they hardly got cavities, they had no, they didn't need glasses. Like they grew perfectly. Like they grew into to like a healthy structure, skeletal structure, and they did a, so much work to keep like that going, like they, th their lives revolved around food. And it started with the soil. Like they all talked about how we make sure we got the soil healthy and how the animals are well-fed. I mean, that was a real science. And so I was like, oh, great. Let's build on this, right? Because this is a great start. This tells me that any kind of cultural tradition that's 
in a society that's a stable society probably is good advice for us. So what we did when we wrote Deep Nutrition, my husband and I, was we looked for those common elements. Like what was everyone doing in all of these stable societies that we could find, which you don't have to look too hard, right? There's really super healthy people in Italy. There's really super healthy people in France. Everywhere has, just about everywhere, has um, some really super healthy long-lived people. And when, so we found that they they do four things in common and we call those the four pillars of world cuisine. And the one that maybe I wanna to touch on right now that has to do with a uh, face is meat on the bone. Hmm. Um, and so that refers to the practice of not throwing away the bones, making use of the nutrition in the bones, as well as the ligaments and the cartilage and the stuff that's kind of, you know, we don't really chew it as humans, dogs do, but, um, and you know, sharks eat all of it whole, but as humans, we, we really have to keep that stuff, not throw it away, boil it, make stock out of it, or, you know, make stews out of it to extract these amazing, um, compounds called, uh, they've got a lot of names like collagen hydrolysate. It's really a brew of different compounds. It's not just one thing. Right. Um, so collagen like bone broth, right? Yeah, like I think, bone I think broth. You're doing bone broth and like other things that you're saying, stews and stuff. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And that's really great for your face because, um, it helps to, I mean, well, I mean, anybody who's gone to a beauty, the beauty aisle, you're going to see hyaluronic acid. You're going to see collagen hydrolysate. Well, instead of just putting it on your skin, you could actually eat it. Right. <laughs> it's going to have effects all over your body and Even it's within. much more powerful that way. And by, by the way, it also helps your hair and your nails. Like mm -hmm. my nails are healthier now than they were when I was a teenager. Um, do you have recipes in your book in Deep Nutrition that people can follow to make these yummy meals to help yeah. their face glow? Absolutely. So yeah, we have like the key thing is to make your bone stock taste good. So you'll actually want to eat it. Um, and so our recipe for chicken stock uh, has a lot of ingredients. There are easier recipes out there if you don't really care too much what it tastes like because you're going to add it to something else. But if you want it to taste really delicious, follow our recipe. So we have one okay. in the back of Deep Nutrition. And then I have some slightly different ones. Also, I have videos on the website um, uh, that kind of walk you through how to do it too on drkate.com. Amazing. Yeah, we're going to put links below to your book. We'll put links below to your website, to everything. So I think that's great. Now, Dr. Kate, so, so number one, I want to go through the four, but right now, so number one is meat on the bone. Is it true that, so, you know, when you're making bone broth or let's say you're making those, those stews in order to extract it, you have to add like apple cider vinegar, or you have to let it cook for 12 or 24 hours. Is that the only way that we will get those nutrients from those, from the meat, from the bones? The longer you cook it and the more acid, and there's many more delicious sources of acid than vinegar, um, the more you break down the bone, right? Cause really what you're doing is you are using water to essentially dissolve the collagen in the bone that's been mineralized. So it's made hard by mineral, by calcium and other minerals. So you're, you're using water and heat to dissolve that and acid accelerates that and um, salt actually helps too. So but the acid can come from vegetables. So we do not add vinegar in our, um, yeah, our recipe just uses a mirepoix, which is uh, French for 
three veggies that is used in everything in French cooking, which is celery and carrots and onion, right? Okay. And so that gets the flavor from that. And then you, re you remove all that stuff, but it gives it a really delicious broth. I'm really just such a good flavor that I, I have it kind of real simple. I, I don't even want to waste it by making stews out of it. I get the store-bought stuff and make stew out of that. <laughs> right, then you just drink. So do you just drink it every day? Is it something that you want to have like on a regular basis so that we, like how often do we would have, would we have to drink it or use it in order to see the glow on our, on our faces? Yeah, so just about every day. And the reason I say this is like, let's think about what people used to do, right? This is always how I answer so many questions. Okay. Um, so, well, what people used to do is they would capture the whole animal, right? So let's say they just uh, got caught a deer, for example. Um, well, there's so there's only so much meat. I think there's something like, I don't know, maybe 60 to 80 pounds of meat, maybe another 20 to 30 pounds of fat. Uh, but there's like close to hundred or more pounds of bone and ligament and hide and stuff like that. And so the more that you can use that too, the more you're being smart about your resource that you just extracted from the environment, you're not going to let that carcass go to waste. You're, so people, what people just did intuitively, once we had uh, fire under control, over a million years ago was we would like boil it. You know, as soon as we were able to make uh, pots, we were, there's evidence that we were um, breaking down collagen and we would do as much as we could. So the, the ratio there, the reason I mentioned those weights is because that gives you an idea of the ratio, like almost maybe a half of your protein could even come from this, this stuff. So I, I, I drink at least, um, you know, 10 to maybe 20 grams a day, whenever, like maybe not every single day, but almost every day. And how do you know how much it is? Well, when you buy it, it'll say, it'll say how much protein on per cup serving. And so you want to look for one that has the max of whatever's available in your store. So it used to be only I could get from Costco four grams per cup, but now they have one that's nine grams per cup. Mm. And that is so much thicker. So it's, you know, it's real. Uh, mm. It's more gelatinous. Um, if uh, you've ever made jello, that actually is a very cheap form of bone broth. That's collagen. It doesn't have all of the components of bone broth, but it has collagen in there. And so if you don't dump a bunch of sugar in it, that's going to have benefits for your skin too. Jello. I remember my grandmother used to make, I know there's another name for it, but my grandmother used to make something called gala. She was like from, from Eastern Europe, from Poland. And it was like this gelatinous, it kind of looked like jello, but it wasn't. And it was from the bones. Um, and she would like cook it for so long. I remember I loved it. It was so good with like garlic. And I, I know there's another name for it. I'm trying to think of the other name, but I, I can't think of it. But um, anyways, but that's what it reminds me of. And I asked my mother the other day, and I'm like, do you have like, my grandmother's like recipe for gala? And she said she didn't have it, but that's exactly what it sounds like. I know I'm like, ah, I would love that because that's probably, you know, I'm guessing that, um, you know, when my grandmother was cooking right from Eastern Europe, they knew these, they just knew these things <laughs> intuitively. Yeah. Well, it's a science. It's a science, <laughs> Andrea. Like we have to prop it up. You know, it's, it's, there's knowledge in what people used to do. Yeah. And with our current culture of technology and everything old is, is like fooey on that. 
that we're forgetting and we we just don't respect it you know like it was this is how people were surviving on nothing but their own skill right mm-hmm. they didn't have electricity or running water they didn't have food stamps they didn't have uh you know cereal ready to eat they literally worked themselves into health out of the earth mm. and so that you can't dismiss that as like not valuable information <laughs> that is totally life-saving and that's what i try to capture in deep nutrition as much as possible. And the nice thing about making a bone broth, I just did it not too long ago. The nice thing about making it is that the bones are generally inexpensive or more inexpensive than the meat part of it, right? So you can kind of get the scraps from a butcher or from wherever you buy your meat. And then you just get your vegetables, like your onion, your carrots, your celery, like you're saying, and then follow your recipe in deep nutrition and make it. But I, cause sometimes it's just getting our head around it. Like, I, I mean, you have, if you have a crock pot, throw it all into a crock pot, set it for whatever amount of time and kind of just walk away. So it is really inexpensive to do and it's so healthy for us. So I think that's amazing. Okay. So meat on the bones, that's number one. What's number two. So organ meats, that's not everybody's favorites, but these things are superfoods. And I'm talking about like, you know, the most common one is liver. Okay. Right. That's the most accessible people. If you, uh, people are often familiar with like liverwurst or, um, chop liver. Yeah. And, um, liver and onions. Braunschweiger. I can never remember if Braunschweiger, no, that's the one I get Braunschweiger and bratwurst mixed up. <laughs> um, but also organ meats like a tripe, right? Like, so the stomach, uh, of a cow is called tripe and that creates a gelatinous broth too. Um, heart like chicken heart, chicken gizzard, uh, chicken feet, and like everything, literally everything people used to use, literally everything haggis, um, if you've ever been to Scotland, haggis, no, you heard of a haggis? <laughs> no, I haven't. I, but I, I'm laughing when you said chicken feet because I have these, again, my grandparents, all four of my grandparents came from like Poland and Eastern Europe. And I could just remember when we'd be at his house and my grandmother would make chicken feet and he would be like taking the chicken feet, putting it into all his mouth and like pulling it out. I just remember, it's like, I have this visual of my grandfather oh, eating chicken like, feet. But it's nice memories. It brings back nice memories, but it's interesting to say that that's part that's considered something that's healthy to eat. Just a quick note on your, on your talking about liver. So for the longest time, I used to think so, and I know now that my thinking has changed just from what I've learned, but I'd love you to explain the science behind this or what the, what it means is. So if I thought because our livers are master detox organ in our body, that we wouldn't want to eat the liver of another, of an animal. But from what I understand is that's not the case because the toxins aren't stored. Right. So please explain that because I avoided liver for so long and I just recently started eating it and I definitely notice a difference. Like my body likes it. So please yeah. explain that. Yeah. So a lot of people have heard that and they feel like the like toxins build up in the liver, but that's not at all. It's the exact opposite. It's the liver helps the toxins from every other part of your body leave the body. And it's got all these powerful enzymes that do that. And it's got bile. So one of the reasons that bile is very often the most disgusting thing you could possibly think of consuming, possibly partly we're like genetically programmed to hate it because it's, that's where toxins would be like in the bile that's in the, in the bile gallbladder. Right. Um, But it also depends on, you know, if your diet is healthy, if your cow's diet, if the cow's diet is healthy, 
then there just aren't toxins, right? So it's not like there are toxins all the time. It's if the cow like was in like eating PCBs or like in a, like a toxic waste site had been there 40 years ago and nobody knew about it, or there was lead or something like that. Um, generally in nature, there's really no persistent toxins. The, the liver gets rid of them. The kidney gets rid of them and we sweat them out mm. and we even breathe some out. So the, the persistent toxins really are the chemicals that, you know, are, are not, I don't think there's too many things where there's going to be a farm that where there was a major chemical site, you know, it's like where they did shipyards or where they had like an air aircraft, like cleaning out the gunk there. I and mean, like the most horrible, disgusting things. You don't want to have a farm there. <laughs> So I just don't think that happens too much. Now there's also the pesticides and the, the, the herbicides and those things. If you're, you know, cows aren't organic, but still they don't persist um, in the liver. If anything, they're going to be like in the, the fat of the animal right? Um, or sometimes even in the muscle. But, um, but so the, the liver is way like in terms of risks and benefits, like maybe 1% risk if you got unlucky with what the cow was fed and 99% benefit, even in the worst case scenario. Hmm. I was at a show a couple of weeks ago and there was a company that was selling supplements made from liver. And that was the first time I had seen that. I'm, I'm sure they'd been around for a long time, but that was the first time that I saw it. And I was like, oh, that's so like now you can take actually supplements made from dried liver. So I thought it was really interesting. And they were saying that it helps with energy and it helps with, you know, a lot of different things. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Like it's, um, if you really can't stand liver, that's a good solution, but you got to swallow a lot of those pills because all it is, is dehydrated liver. Right. And the uh, kind of the amount of liver, the dose of liver that you want on a weekly basis is, you know, at least four ounces and maybe like as much as a pound. Yeah. So Somewhere in that range. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we've got the organ meats. So, and, and like, what, is, I guess, before we move on, what's your favorite organ meat to eat? Um, I, I really like liver. Just, it, it makes me, it does make me feel really so much better when I have it. And I just made some last night, actually, I did it like a ragu, you know, kind of like a pasta sauce, except I never eat pasta. I feel silly calling it a pasta sauce. I don't know what else to call it. But um, so I used a pound of liver and a pound each, uh, two pack, two pound packages of Italian pork sausage. And um, the sausage is so good that like the liver, I don't even know the liver does old freeze frozen freezer burn liver. And I was like, Oh, this is just going to be so gross, but no, actually it's good. And I'm actually looking forward to eating it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try cooking with that, uh, with liver. Actually, I'm going to try So you've, uh, you've inspired me. to try. <laughs> I don't know if I can get my head around eating like brain or heart that, that I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. Now, I don't know if it's for me again, no judgment for anybody who does want to try it. I know my dad loved it. My dad used to eat like all the parts of, of the, of the cow. And we used to say, I remember his kids be like, ew, dad, what are you doing? But he loved it. Tongue and brain, like all of that stuff. So it's, uh, it's yeah. going back, it's I guess, to, like you said, but it's hard to find now. So like, I mean, you can find liver at least yeah. tongue. is something else that, that um, yeah. comes, uh, you can find that, but, um, 
But yeah, it's like they made it illegal to sell brain in this country and lungs. They, those are illegal. So you can't really make Scottish haggis here in America. You can't really buy it. You, they can't export it here either. Okay. So what's number three? What's number three? So we've talked about two. So meat on the bone, organ meats. What's number three? So uh, the uh, fresh food is number three. And by fresh, I don't just mean like fruits and vegetables. I mean, consciously being aware of not overcooking your say egg yolks, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want to have eggs, they're much healthier when the yolk is still runny. So it's pretty close to raw or fresh, right? Um, you don't want to, I mean, you can have it raw if you like it, but, um, the yolk itself, uh, you can just make it a little bit runny or a lot runny. It's much, much more nutritious because heat destroys nutrition. That's why fresh food is important. You get really a lot more um, vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants when your food has not been heated or cooked or dehydrated. Um, so, you know, people talk about milk as if that is a fresh food, but the milk for sale in the grocery store has been pasteurized and homogenized. So it's pretty processed. Mm -hmm. And whenever possible, I try uh, to drink raw milk, which is every day. <laughs> raw milk. And you, yeah, you can get it from like, I remember when my, although again, some countries it's, you're not, you can't get it. You're not able to, but I remember like, if you could find a farmer, right. Is that a good source to get? Yeah. So finding a yeah, farmer, somebody direct. who can distribute it direct. Yeah. It can yeah. be interesting, but not, I know not everybody has access to that, but if you can. Um, so what's another option then? Like, let's say you want to drink milk, but you can't get raw milk from a farmer. Are there other options that you can get at the grocery store that can be beneficial? Absolutely. Uh, you can um, do like uh, the next best thing is kind of rehabilitated raw milk, which is yogurt and cheese. So uh, it adds more nutrition back by the bacterial action of fermenting the sugar in the milk. And the longer the ferment goes, the more the bacteria and other microbes are beneficially changing it. And so like all the way from yogurt being like the shortest fermentation to like a Parmesan cheese, which is the longest fermentation, um, it's not live cultured anymore. So there's like la fermented, uh, well, actually this is the next, <laughs> this is the next pillar. We Number just four. slid right into that. <laughs> we just fermented and sprouted. So yeah, if you, if you have a lot of fresh food that you, or you can't eat it because it's not legal, you can ferment it and then it, um, kind of rehabilitates it if it wasn't raw. Uh, but, but, you know, traditional yogurts and trees, cheeses were all just raw milk, um, uh, you know, because people didn't pasteurize it until the pasteurization machine was invented in the 1800s. Well, what about for people who can't now, the, you know, on top of for the, for the fermented foods, obviously like the kimchi and the sauerkrauts, like you're also getting probiotics, but what about for some people who can't tolerate fermented foods? What do you recommend there? Um, so it would depend on the food because usually there's not, usually you're not going to have like a blanket problem with all of them. Um, so are you thinking of like, um, histamine or exactly some of like histamine or somebody who has SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or some kind of gut issue going on where when they eat fermented foods that they don't feel good. Yeah. So I, I would say you know, first of all, you don't have to do it if it makes, if you've tried them all and they all make you feel bad, but I would try a diversity of very different kinds. Um, like, uh, you know, so if yogurt, kefir, uh, and cottage cheese do not work for you. Cause those are all live, uh, then try kimchi 
right? And try different <laughs> kinds of kimchi because kimchi can have shrimp added or it can have lots of different herbs and spices in there. And those herbs and spices are protective against microbes in the fermentation process and in your gut, right? They still have like the, the garlic and all that spicy stuff in there. Um, so that can help your microbiome become more balanced and healthy too. And then another great option that's easy is um, sauerkraut. So, but those are all very different kinds of profiles once they're fermented. But if you tried all of those and it's just not, um, not your, maybe just not ready for it yet. But once you get that resolved, because SIBO is a temporary state, it's not a permanent state. Uh, once you get it resolved, then it might help you from getting it again. Hmm. So, and how do those four pillars, I know you talked about the first pillar, but how do those four, four pillars affect our face? Right. So the, the meat on the bone is one of the most directly affecting because you get that collagen and the hyaluronic acid and um, all the things that people are injecting and smearing <laughs> onto their face, you get it all over your body and in a delicious form. And that helps not just, um, uh, well, how does it help exactly? So let me kind of describe that a little bit. Um, so your face is made of skin <laughs> and what is skin made of? Well, skin is made of collagen mostly and collagen has, uh, collagen is a really long molecule and there's all different types of collagen. Some are more stretchy, some than others. Um, those, those make, give you like the snapback on your skin and some are more about strength. Like that's how your ligaments stay supported. Um, and they have different things in them by which I mean different stuff that you get from bone broth. So these other things like hyaluronic acid or glycosaminoglycan or proteoglycans, other, um, those are combinations, uh, molecular combinations of the building block of protein and sugars, you know, together. So they have this amazing water holding property. And that it's like an attraction to water. So just a tiny bit of it holds tons and tons of water, which serves two functions. It helps keeps everything like puffy and, you know, not dehydrated, but it also puffy in a good way, <laughs> plump, I should say. Um, <laughs> um, and it also helps everything glide, right? Because water um, is a lubricant. So water with these molecules forms like the most incredible lubricant in nature. Like all of our best synthetic lubricants can never even come close to the lubricating capacity of our joint fluid and the hyaluronic acid and all that stuff that's interlaced with the collagen molecules. Um, the structure, really the backbone of your skin support is collagen, but all this interlacing helps keep uh, it moist, helps keep the fluid in there. It helps keep the water in there. And so it's supporting the structural collagen and it's supporting the interlacing in between keeping the fluid in there. And when I see supporting the structural collagen, the way it does that is really miraculous. It, it's it kind mm -hmm. of like, it acts like a growth hormone, right? So in other words, it can kind of counteract a little bit of the effects of aging. It stimulates the cells that produce fibroblasts, the fibroblasts are the cells that produce collagen and it stimulates them to, to produce more collagen wherever they are, whether it's in the surface of your skin or in the ligaments that are holding up those fat pads that start to sag um, or in your lips, right? Like we have all these ligaments that hold up our lips and they're supposed to stay like up like that. But as we get older, it mm, mm. goes down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's ligaments. <laughs> so Dr. Kate, what, how, 
okay, a couple of things, because I'm very, you know, I like to understand exactly for our listeners, like, and all of us, like, okay, what exactly should we do? So are we drinking a cup of bone broth a day, a cup of this a day? Is it a half a cup in order to get those, those benefits? And it also helps, I mean, collagen is the most abundant protein in the body. I mean, it's what holds, like you said, it holds everything together. So when it comes to making it ourselves, is it, is it a cup? Is it a half a cup so that we get the most benefits from it? And also collagen, how does it affect our bones? Because it's really awesome for our bones too. Oh, it is so awesome for your bones. Absolutely. Cause this, they're made out of your bones are made out of collagen too. It's just mineralized collagen and bone broth has both. It's got the, you know, if you've been boiling it for, you were asking earlier, like, do you really have to boil it for a long time? Well, the longer you boil it, the more you're getting for your trouble, right? It's thicker. You're going to make it thicker. So how much do you have to consume? Well, that's why I gave you the answer in terms of grams, because I think you really want to get somewhere around, you know, nine to 20 grams a day, maybe a bare minimum of seven. And so if you're buying it from the store, it's going to tell you, right, how much is in there per cup. So that, so just follow that and get somewhere in there uh, between, you know, seven, bare minimum seven and like, you probably don't need more than 20. And of course, more, if you're a bigger person, right. Are we talk, we're talking about bone broth in particular, because bone, bone broth, when you buy okay, it from a store, it'll stay it's separate from collagen. I just want to be very clear because when you buy collagen, generally it'll say the the serving is about six grams in terms of it, the research behind, at least behind wrinkles and, and fine lines on our face. But okay. So we're talking specifically bone broth when you buy it at the store. Right, which will have both. Bone broth will have collagen in there, but it also has the uh, proteoglycans and glycosaminoglycans, the hyaluronic acid, all that other more miraculous uh, stuff that um, it keeps that water, keeps the hydration. It's anti, it is anti-inflammatory also. Um, so uh, yeah, so I'm talking about, that's why the numbers may be a little higher because it's got more stuff in there <laughs> altogether. Um, and it does probably have the same amount of collagen as what they recommend somewhere around six. That's exactly. um, yeah. And so when you make it yourself, it kind of depends how long you boil it for and how thick it is. So if it's really watery, you probably need um, maybe like two cups or a cup and a half. Right. Um, but if it, when you, if it gelatinizes, when you chill it in the fridge, then you probably maybe only need like a half cup. It could be really thick. So um, yeah. And you'll feel it. Like if you feel it, that was enough but you will feel it. Like where I feel it is I feel it in my fingers because I'm always typing. And um, if I go a, a day or two without having any or three days, um, then I'm like, oh gosh, I haven't had any. I need a bunch again. But it really just makes things feel like so much more flexible and limber. I don't, do you notice it when you, you know, have the supplement? I don't, I don't have it every day. Like I do take collagen on a regular basis, um, but I'm not sure how much I notice it. I just know that... Um, my bones are, are, I've had like a test done and it showed that my bones were good. Um, and it's because I take a daily collagen, but I do like to take bone broth. I do like to have it. I just, it's, I have to get my head wrapped around of like, it's like the, it's so it's inexpensive to make. And it's not, you know, it's just a matter of putting it in that, like I said before, putting in a crock pot and just leaving it. But, um, I need to do that more often, but I also have bought, uh, bone broth from the store. So when I don't make it myself, but it's expensive to buy it from the store, it's much more expensive as opposed to getting it yourself and making it yourself, which is a lot, a lot less money. 
and it's just more time consuming. I guess a little bit more time consuming, obviously, because you have to kind of put everything together and and put it in the crock pot. But I definitely I'm going to pay more attention to it now. I'm going to make it more often. I'm going to pay more attention to see how I feel because it also tastes yummy. I actually really love it because it's great for our gut health as well. And, you oh. know, when I had I found out I had Hashimoto's earlier this year, I literally lived on bone broth and really helped myself um, feel better. And I did find it. Then I found it, I did feel it a lot. Like I found it worked really well for me. I found that it was really helpful. Yeah. A lot of people say that. I mean, it's, it's known there's a, there's a practitioner, um, that wrote a book like 20 years ago now about how powerfully bone broth helps gut health. So, um, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of, uh, science behind why it should, why it might work too. That kind of explains it. So it's not just theoretical. Amazing. Well, Dr. Kate, thank you. This was very interesting. So where can everybody get your book, Deep Nutrition? I have a copy on my bed, on my next to my bed, right on my nightstand. Where can everybody get their own copy of Deep Nutrition? It's all over the web on Amazon and uh, other booksellers online, tons of them. Um, and if you want to learn a little more about it, because I have several books, then you can visit drkate.com and just type in books and uh, the it'll come in under the search for doctor. Once you get to drkate.com, my search thingy is um, <laughs> is really good. And it'll bring up the page called, which book should I buy? And of course the ultimate answer is all of them, but which should you start with? <laughs> Right. Where are you now? Because I have kind of a beginner book. I have a book more for focusing on uh, focusing on weight loss and metabolic disease reversal and then deep nutrition, which is kind of what people call it, like the nutrition Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I actually, I've gotten so many lovely letters about that book from people who say, I read this to my children, like, uh, like the Bible, you know, how people read passages from the Bible. Well, (laughs) they read deep nutrition. It's such a good book. And Dr. Kate, you know, I'm like one of your hugest fans. So I think you're amazing, brilliant. And I love how you're just, you know, you're a medical doctor, you, everything you, you talk about research and I love how you're leading the way on seed oils and continue to be amazing, continue to do what you're doing. And we will for sure have you back because I would love to talk about, um, about your reversing metabolic, um, issues. So I think that would be great to talk about your other book. And what's the name of your other book that talks about that? That is the fat burn fix. Because yes, we need to burn your body fat and very often you cannot, you need it fixed. So let's (laughs) do that next time. Let's talk about the fat. Let's talk about the fat burn fix and and get into that because I know our audience would love to hear that. Beautiful. Great idea. Thank you so much for doing this today. I loved it. It was a lot of fun talking with you as always. I love Dr. Kate so much. Her book, Deep Nutrition is amazing. Like I said, I have it on my nightstand and it's one of those books that I go back to and refer to on a regular basis. If you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Kate, please share it because the more you share shows you care. As always, I appreciate you spending time with us and please leave a review because I'd love to know what you think about our podcast, Menopause Reimagined. Remember, you've got this and I'll see you at the next interview. 